Um, so like I was saying, I'm so thankful for our English songs and lyrics and the styles that we've had, but I'm so thankful to God that here in America and all over the world, there are songs about Him and about Jesus Christ in thousands and thousands of languages and styles. Amen? And I think we're going to get a taste of that in heaven one day. And so, if you would, please give our, our Spanish speakers a hand. Let's praise God for them. Thank you. Um, thank you for sharing uh, that with us this morning. This morning, we're going to talk about uh, local church membership. We are in a, a series on church membership. I'm going to go ahead and preach this morning. Uh, right now, and then we're actually going to sing uh, some more English songs uh, at the end of the service, so we're going to kind of have an extended uh, time of, of music at the end. But I'm going to go ahead and, and get right into the, the sermon, and so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those ready. We are going to be looking at a number of passages this morning having to do with church membership, and uh, this is uh, sermon number two of this series. And the title of this sermon is, Do I Have To? Do I Have To? How many of you growing up uh, said to your parents, But Mom, do I have to? But Dad, do I have to? Can I see a show of hands? Anybody remember saying that? Or hey, maybe you've had a kid say that to you. Do I have to? Do I have to? Uh, we live in a culture that has that attitude uh, about the local church. Do we have to? And many have already answered that with a no. They've checked out on the idea of the local church. And we're going to talk about that this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning and your truth. We thank you for your local church. We thank you for this church and the work that you've done here over the decades to bring people to Christ and to reach a world for your honor and glory. And we're thankful not just for our church, but of the many, many churches, the, the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of churches throughout this world that are embassies of your kingdom, that are reaching out um, to make disciples of all nations and to glorify your name. And this morning we pray that you will be honored and glorified in what we learn and discuss and that you will change our hearts, not just our minds, and that that change will produce change in our lives and how we live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to, I realize that most of the people in this room are local church members. Some of you may not be, um, and so uh, this may uh, touch you in a, in a level. Maybe it'll make you feel awkward at times. Uh, maybe you, maybe somebody next to you knows you're not a church member. Let me just encourage you. Don't, don't think about what somebody else might think of you. Uh, think about what God is saying to you this morning and let that work on your heart. If you are a local church member and I'm preaching to the choir here, uh, the other purpose of this message is to give you some things to talk about with an increasingly uh, hostile culture toward the local church. Uh, you know friends, family that are at odds with the idea of local churches. And we're going to talk about that. What is a local church? A local church is a body. We're going to come back and, and revisit this. A local church is a body of saints, a body of born-again believers 
who have marked themselves as followers of Jesus and have united to do life together according to God's directions. We're going to come back to that definition. But first, let me give you some uh, reasons that people do not unite with a local church. Um, if you're a member of our local church, you have gone through a membership process here, and that's involved some, some different things. We've uh, formalized it to a degree that maybe other churches haven't. But every local church just about has some way of recognizing who its members are, and they are united together as they follow Christ. So what are some reasons that people have, some bad reasons that people have for not uniting with a local church? And I want to say up front, there are legitimate reasons that people can't join with a particular church at a particular time. I understand that. I want to talk about some bad reasons. So, number one, what's a reason that people don't join a church? I'm going to, I'm going to start with what is maybe the most understandable, uh, maybe you can sympathize with the most, and then I'm going to go down to, to what I think is... Uh, some of the worst reasons, but this is a bad reason. Fear. Fear is a reason. Distrust is a reason that people do not join local churches. It may go something like this. I've been burned before, not again. I was at a church and those people hurt me. They let me down. They said something bad about me. They hurt our feelings. And so we left and we might attend church, but we're not going to join again. And so there is a fear there. There is a distrust of Christians. Another reason is apathy. Well, it's not that important. People are just indifferent. I'm, uh, I'm doing fine. I've been doing fine for this amount of time. Uh, maybe it's a distraction. Maybe other things are just more important. I'll, I'll get around to that someday. And, and, and certainly it takes a long time depending on, on what your beliefs are and what your philosophy is about finding a good church, it takes a, a time to, to really settle and to make that commitment. Um, I know people that, you know, they're, they're, uh, they feel strongly about visiting a church for a long time before they join there. I, I, I get that. I understand that. I'm talking about apathy. Maybe they're distracted by other things that are more important. Uh, it can wait. Everything else is more important. I'll get around to that someday. And so it's an attitude of neglect. Another reason is the attitude of consumerism. I think we're really plagued with this in our society. Consumerism. We look at church like a buffet. We, look, we shop around just like we shop for other things. And we can, uh, if we're not careful, we can form a judgmentalism against the church. Uh, this church just isn't good enough. They don't have the best blank. Or they don't have the best this or, or, or the best music or the best preaching or the best people, or the best facilities, or the best youth program. And we can do all of these things. And no doubt some of those discussions are important. But again, the attitude we don't want to get to is a, a consumeristic mentality where we've got to have everything just right to suit our needs. That's consumerism. And lastly, probably the one that, uh, uh, that I see a lot and that is probably the worst is an attitude of arrogance. I don't need them. I don't need a church. I'm a spiritual person. It's just me and Jesus. Um, that's enough. And there are others that uh, they don't want to um, be under authority. And they say, I don't need anyone to judge me. I don't need organized religion, as, as the world would call it these days. I don't subscribe to that terminology re related to church, but... 
only God can judge me. There's a lot of people that, that find that kind of lifestyle convenient. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But it's an arrogance. It's all about me and God. It's about me and Jesus. And uh, I love Jesus. I just It's the church that I have a problem with. It's that kind of, of arrogance. Of course, we all know the saying that there's no such thing as a perfect church. Uh, and when you join it, if it were perfect, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. Um, let, me, let me, after I've said these, these things, and there are certainly more. We're going to talk about one more after this. But let me chase some, some application rabbits here for a second. Number one, whatever reason someone is not a member of a church, if they're a believer in Christ or if they claim Jesus, which you have to check that because not everybody that says they're a Christian is a Christian, and so we have to see is the fruit of repentance in their life, the fruit of faith, do they have a, a love for Christ at any level. But let me, let me uh, talk about those who for whatever reason, maybe one of these that I've, I've listed, they have not united, covenanted, uh, joined with a church, committed to a local body. Use discernment in trying to help them, in trying to help others reunite or maybe unite with a local church, even if it's not our church. Don't go in with assumptions that you know what their issues are. Spend time talking to them. Maybe they just need to, they need some assurance that you're not going to hurt them and that the church is going to be a safe place. And of course, not, you have to explain to them that, that nothing's ever going to be perfect, but that you're going to do your best to love them and to respect them. Maybe they need... Uh, loving and, and sensitive uh, care from you. Maybe they need bold and direct um, uh, words from you, depending on what their situation needs are. Maybe they are arrogant and they need somebody to, to point that out. And so secondly, and that's the first application. The second application I want to I give is when we talk about the church, the local church and local churches, be careful as Christians about bashing the bride of Jesus. I, I, can, I can get on social media and I can get in a conversation and I can, I can top anybody talking about the, the criticisms and the negative things that I see in the church and in local churches and things that I want to, to change in, in our church or any church. And we can all get in that mindset where we can become overly critical and we can bash the bride. Let me, let me give you an illustration. Men. How would you feel if on your wedding day a group of people showed up and began to insult your bride? I don't think you'd feel very good about that, would you? In your eyes, your bride is beautiful. You love your bride. You did a lot of work to get your bride. How would you feel if someone showed up and began to insult your bride? Well, think about how Jesus feels when we insult his bride. Now, there are certainly causes, that, that there's, certain, there's certainly cause uh, to criticize. There are some monster churches out there, churches that do terrible things, churches that don't follow the Bible. There are, are situations in churches where there are monster people, people that do horrible things, people that just get it wrong, people that sin. But in our society, it's kind of, I see so many preachers do this as well, um, trying to appeal to the world they want to distance themselves from this old church over here, this old bride. And so what they do is they begin to bash and to bash and to criticize. And there's a fine line there between pointing out 
the problems and the sins of sinful people within a church and being derogatory toward the bride of Jesus that he bled and died for. This church, this people, with all of our faults that need to be corrected at times and how we need to grow and we, we need to get better, with all of that considered, Jesus Christ still bled and he died for Wyatt Baptist Church. Amen? We are precious to him. And every New Testament church is precious to him because there are people in that church that are precious to him. It is his body. Acts 20, 28 talks about how he purchased the church with his blood. And so we need to be careful when we critique that we are critiquing out of love and that we are spreading not a bad view of the church, but a, a love of the church, a beauty of the church. If we spend so much time talking about the church's problems, why would anyone want to come here? But there are beautiful things that need to be talked about. There's beautiful stories of love and compassion and care that need to be told because it is evidence of God working. A final reason is simply confusion. Confusion. This uh, confused mind might just say, it's just me and Jesus. Uh, that's all that matters. I'm already a member of God's universal church. That's all that matters. Uh, and so there's a theological, a biblical confusion. We, in America, we have a confusion. Are we supposed to keep our religion private? Are we su supposed to make it public? Um, is it just a personal relationship between me and Jesus, or is there a community relationship? I think for years and years and years, we've, and I've mentioned this before in past uh, uh, messages to you, that we have so emphasized a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and wanting to love people and wanting them to be saved from their sins and to get to heaven that we emphasize this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it has happened so much in our country that we have failed to realize that people don't just need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They need a family relationship with the body. They need a community relationship. And so I use this word universal church. I think this is especially with, with people that are uh, closer to my age and younger. You're starting to see this more and more. There's this idea of the universal church is all that matters. Well, what is the universal church? Well, let's look at that. The universal church, there's a definition up here for you. The universal church is the great collective of saints from all ages who will be together in the new heavens and new earth one day. And so the universal church, as some define it, is everybody that God has saved, everybody that's going to be in heaven one day. And there is certainly, there's scripture that, that speaks about this. Uh, Revelation 17, 14, these will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will conquer them because He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. Those who, those who are with Him are called elect and faithful. Um, Hebrews 12, 23. Uh, in fact, turn there if you would. Turn to Hebrews 12, 23. We'll look at this one. Because you also, on the other hand, you have some people that, that have the arrogance to think that their church is going to be the only church in heaven. Their 55 people are going to be the only church in heaven. Everybody else is going to be secondary citizens. What arrogance. Here's what, here's what it says in Hebrews chapter uh, 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. Actually, let's start in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion 
and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. The assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There's a lot of things in there, but notice that it talked about the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's the universal church, or as some people call it, the church triumphant. There is such a thing as the universal church. All believers in Jesus are going to be in heaven. Here's the problem. They haven't met yet. The word church means gathering. It means assembly. This church has not met yet, not in full. It will meet one day. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, you will be a part of that universal church. But that is the universal church. And there are some people that have the idea that say, well, I'm saved, I'm a member of that church, therefore I don't need to be a member of a local church. And there's a certain amount of reason to that. It's just wrong reasoning. What is the local church? What is the local church? A local church is a body of saints who have marked themselves as followers of Jesus and have united to do life together according to God's directions. It's a body of saints who have marked themselves, they've, they've distinguished themselves as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and then they've united to do life together according to God's commands and directions. The usage of church in the Bible... Um, the Bible refers to church many times and in many different ways. Um, but most of the time it refers to a local church. Okay? Paul writes letters. He addresses them to local churches. Not to the universal church, but he writes to the letter, to, to the church of Thessalonica, to the church of Colossae, to the, the saints in Ephesus. He writes to local bodies that are organized together. Not, uh, not an invisible church that hasn't met yet that will one day meet in heaven think of the ways that you use the word family you talk about your family you can talk about the family as an institution you can talk about family in a generic sense where we're all one big happy family and you may not mean that genetic there's many different ways you can use the word family churches use different ways in the scriptures it's used to refer to local church. It's used to refer to the church triumphant, the universal church. It's used uh, to refer to churches and institutions. Jesus talked about how upon this rock I will build my church. And so much of our confusion in life and in truth, it could simply be solved by picking up a Bible and actually reading. But we have a very biblically illiterate culture. And so what people do is they don't check the Bible to see if what they believe is true. They reason out what their feelings tell them, and that's how they get to where they think, I don't need the local church. I'm a member of the church universal. Our second core value here at Wyatt Baptist Church is the authority of the Bible. Number one is the supremacy of God. Number two is the authority of the Bible. This, friends, is our authority. This amazing, beautiful word is what guides our lives, is what gives us truth, and the Scripture says that it is sufficient for all of our needs to make us perfect in Christ, to, to give us direction. All Scripture is God-breathed. But some people treat, uh, they treat the Bible 
um, like a, I don't know what you would call it, but they look for little inspiring notes. They, they look for little catchphrases in the Bible. They, they look for cliches. We don't do the hard work of getting in and figuring out things, and so we have a hard time understanding uh, what is implicit in the Bible. We're looking for proof text all the time, and if it doesn't say thou shalt not or thou shalt do, we say, oh, well, that's not in the Bible. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about arson. It doesn't talk about computers. It doesn't use the word abortion. It doesn't use the word trinity. But all of those things are either talked about in the Bible or there's information in the Bible to, to tell us about those things, to teach us about those things. And the Bible assumes the followers of Jesus throughout the world would unite in local congregations. It may not say, thou shalt become a member of a local church. It may not spell it out that way, but that doesn't mean it's not saying it. I'm convinced that, I was thinking about this, this is a bit absurd, but if God were to appear in the parking lot, in a parking lot somewhere, and tell Christians to get in their cars and to drive to California, many of them would not leave the parking lot because God never gave them specific directions about putting gas in the car or turning a key or pushing a pedal. And we're looking, we're, we're looking for these legalistic um, proof texts when really what we need to do is study and to see God's heart, to see what, what he is saying and to reason uh, with the scriptures. Church membership is spelled out in the Bible. The vast majority of over 100 uses of church in the Bible refer to the church as a, local, a locally organized body. Now, these churches, they can have specific membership processes. Okay, They can have different membership processes. You go to one church after another, they have a different way to join. That's fine. I'm not talking about that. But there needs to be some way that you are held accountable to a body of believers. Let me give you, a, let me give you three things uh, three areas in the scripture that, that will help with this. Is local church membership biblical? Okay, I boiled it down to three areas. Number one, God's commands to Christians to support one another demand a local church membership. God requires local church membership because to support one another demands it. What do I mean by that? There are 58 one another's in the New Testament verses that talk about how we are to treat one another. Uh, one of the most famous is John 13, 34, and 35. They will know you my, are my disciples by your love for one another. The local church is to display a family type of love, a love that you can't have when you just live as a Lone Ranger Christian, a love that you can't have when you think that, oh, my church is on my computer and I can just listen to sermons and read my devotional book and read my Bible. I don't need those people who meet at that building. I don't need them. Well, you can't fulfill the one another's of Scripture that way. When someone begins to see a church, to know a church, they should see us bearing one another's burdens, financial, health burdens, problems with sin, relational burdens, like a real family. 1 John 3, 14 and 16. This is how we uh, have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We also should lay down our lives for our brothers. How are you going to do that if you're not in a local church? 
Jesus laid down his life for us. If you're, you're here today and you say, why are you doing all this talk about church? Jesus laid down his life for us. He lived a life of perfection, keeping all of God's commands so that our sin could be paid for. That's called the gospel. That's the good news. Maybe some of you here today, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that he died on a cross and he sacrificed himself so that he could become a substitute for you if you'll take it. If you'll ask him to forgive you, he's done all the work. What you need to do is receive the gift, turn from your sin, repent of it, and follow him. And that's the gospel. But the gospel doesn't just stop there. The gospel is that, hey, listen, you were alone in your sin, but now you can be a part of a family. You can be part of the family of God. Jesus doesn't just forgive your sin. He gives you his righteousness. He gives you his sonly status. His status as a son with God. The Father adopts you into his family. You are a child of God now. You are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king. That's the full gospel. And then God pours out on us all of the riches that he pours out onto Jesus. Let's read some of these together. Um, or let me read for you. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Not staying away from our meetings. Okay, so they were meeting together, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage each other daily. Colossians 3.16, let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Galatians 6, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you won't be tempted also. Carry one another's burdens. In this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 5, You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. And we can go on and on and on. The question is, how are we going to encourage one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens, correct one another, fight for one another, cry with one another, hug one another, serve in missions together with one another? How are we going to do these things without being localized? without being organized into a local body. Excuse me. How are you going to do that as an individual? It's reasoning. It's good reasoning to see that all of these commands show us that you've got to be united to a people. You've got to be united to a family in Christ. You can't live Christianity as a lone ranger, as someone uh, off on their own. Number two. God's commands to Christians to submit to one another demand a local church. Not just to support one another, but to submit to one another. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, please. The Apostle Paul writes, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you 
and of the kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit, and, it, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What we have here is, and I know we don't practice church discipline a lot in our culture, but what we have in 1 Corinthians 5 is a situation where a man does something that on the surface seems to completely discredit him as a Christian. And the Apostle Paul says in that situation, in order to, to, to honor God and to hopefully save the man's life and to lead him to repentance, you need to remove him from among you. You need to hand him over to the world, hand him over to Satan. He is not to be a part of you anymore. And of course the hopes, and of course we see in 2 Corinthians that we think that this man came back. He did repent and he did come back and he was welcomed back with, with love. But his problem is that he was unrepentant, he did not want to change, and he was doing something that in this culture, at this time, spoke that he needed to be removed, according to Paul. And so how can he be removed if he wasn't a part of the body, if there wasn't a local church there? Do you see how that works? Uh, flip over to Matthew 18, one more on this. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 deals with uh, offenses that may not be immediately removable. Uh, you know, you wouldn't remove somebody from, uh, from your church for something like this, but these are brotherly offenses, things that can be bad, but things that can hopefully be, uh, be worked out, things that Christians can obviously do in our sinfulness, ways that we can hurt one another, sadly. Um, in Matthew chapter 18... Verses 15, 15 through 20. <clears throat> yes, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so there's a lot of things that can be un unpacked there. But the main lesson is that these, these Christians were a part of a body that held one another accountable. They were officially members of one another. However they got to that point, whether they had their names written on a roll somewhere or whether everybody just knew, oh, this is Bill, I remember when he was baptized, and this is Joe, I remember when he was baptized and claimed to follow Jesus. Whatever their process was, they were a local church united with one another. Number three, God commands for Christians to be shepherded. And that command to be shepherded demands a local church. 
Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, let me just ask you this. If this is just talking about universal church, then does that mean that you have to submit to every pastor in every town you ever go to across the world? Does that mean that every believer submits to every pastor? I don't think so. That would be terrible. No, it means your pastors at your local church. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. 1 Peter 5, 1-7 through 7. Therefore, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of the Messiah and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but freely according to God's will, not for the money, but eagerly, not lording it over those who entrust, are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so here we see that, that it, it tells us that God has given certain people to the pastors to shepherd. It's been appointed for them to pastor those people. Shepherd God's flock among you, not shepherd all the flock. It's not my job to be the pastor of every single Christian on planet earth. Hallelujah. And so local church is clearly what the Bible is talking about here. Acts twenty twenty eight. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. To shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And in Hebrews 13, 7, it tells the people, he tells the people, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. How are you going to imitate somebody's faith if you don't witness daily, weekly, on a continual basis, their way of living? And so those are just three of the main proofs. If you're talking with someone or if you need some evidence, these things demand that we, to live out the Christian life, we've got to be in a local church to support one another, to submit to one another, and to be shepherded. I want to give you three reasons, uh, three, three positive reasons that you should join a local church and urge others to. Three big reasons, kind of as we, as we close out this morning, this message. Number one, the local church is God's plan for your greatest growth. Likewise, you younger men, be subject to the elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him because he cares about you. God wants you. He wants you, friend, to be supported. He wants your burdens to be carried. Some of you are carrying all of your burdens because you're failing to reach out and to ask for help. The body of Christ is meant to support one another, to love, to encourage, to correct, to strengthen one another. God wants you under His authority, not because He wants to to ruin your life, but because He wants to guide you and to protect you and to help you fight sin and to help you in this wicked and evil age, you need His authority. Authority is not a bad word. Submit is not a bad word. It's a beautiful word because it's protecting you. It is helping you to grow. I, uh, I like to watch nature 
shows on, on television. Maybe some of you do. I, I, I like to watch those uh, nature shows. I love nature, love being outdoors. And uh, on these nature shows, um, which when I was younger, I, I would always say to the, the camera guy, like, why don't you jump in there and stop that thing from getting killed? You know, I always wanted, it's like, why don't you do something? But they just sit back and they watch, you know, as the animal dies or whatever. And you notice w- what they do a lot of times is they'll film a herd, okay? They'll film a herd of, of, of gazelle or wildebeest or something like that. And the herd stays together really tight. Well, why do they do that? They stay together because of protection. And so if the lion is going after the, the gazelle or whatever, or the wildebeest or the tiger's chasing something, whatever, if they're going after the animal, which animal do they pick off? They pick off the one that gets separated from the herd. There's strength in numbers. And one of the reasons that we're, we're suffering as Christians so much in our country is because we have a lot of people that are veering off from the herd. We need one another. Number two, the local church is God's plan for fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus said to to Peter and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said this to men who were not accustomed to fishing with a rod and reel by themselves on on the pond bank. These were guys who got out in a boat and as a team they threw nets over the side of the boat, and as a team, they, they brought the fish in together. They could not do it on their own. The local church is God's primary way of reaching the world, of bringing His kingdom in. Let me ask you a question. Could you, by yourself, do the ministry that Wyatt Baptist Church is doing right now? Could you do that by yourself? The answer is no. You couldn't do a mentoring program by yourself. You, couldn't, you could go to Nicaragua on a mission trip. But would it have been as effective as some of the trips that we've been blessed to have in the past where teams have gone down and, and helped one another and served and worked with other local churches? It is God's plan. The Great Commission was given to the local church, not to individual Christians. You do have a personal private ministry. You don't have to sit back and say, well, the church is not doing that, so I guess I'm not going to do ministry on my own. You do personal ministry every single day, but you do it as a representative, as part of the collective of our church. You represent us. I represent you. We represent Christ together. On the day of Pentecost, you didn't have individual Christians praying by themselves in the city. You had over 100 of them in a room together praying seeking God's face, praying with boldness, and then God shows up and 3,000 souls were saved and added to the church that day. The local church is God's plan for fulfilling the Great Commission. And finally, the local church is God's design to show humanity His greatness. Jesus did not just have personal relationships with His disciples. He trained them as a group. He experienced life with them as a family, as a body. When we take the Lord's Supper together, it is not a mystical thing between you and Jesus. It is not of your personal devotion. We, we, we get this idea. It's not about your personal relationship with Jesus. If you're reading in 1 Corinthians, one of the things that, that Paul got onto the Corinthian church about was that they were not discerning the body. They were not caring for the poor. They had one group that was eating over here, and then there were poor over here who were, who were hungry. 
what Jesus was doing in that upper room as they were taking the supper together, He was showing them what it meant to be a body. And each member of that body, as they sat around that table like a family, and they ate, and He gave them food to take that was, was symbolic of how they would take Him into their lives and they would be one together. And so the point is, if you're at odds with your brother, you're at odds with another member of the body, you're not representing Christ. You're not being united. And so the local church shows God's greatness. We know that we have passed from life to death because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Remember, Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Not just by your work in town and your work in serving others and your work down at the, the shelter, but by your love and support for one another. That's how they're going to know that you're mine because that's what I did to you. And we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. If you're talking to someone and they do not feel like they need the local church, but they say they love Jesus. You need to politely find a way to pray for them or tell them that, that they're saying two different things. You can't say that I love Jesus, but then hold His church at arm's distance and hold yourself from the church at arm's distance. Those two things go together because the church is His body. If He's your Lord, then the church is your church. It's your body as well. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Um, I know that most of the people in this room are members of a local church, and so this is not news to them. But maybe there's someone here today that they've been very scared to join a church. I pray, God, you would calm their fears. Maybe there's been someone, there's someone here today, God, that is bitter and angry at something that was done to them years ago in a church, and they've said never again. I pray, God, you would help them to realize that it's not about the person that hurt them or the church that did them wrong, but it's about you and the church of Jesus, and it's about your bride, and it's about how you want to connect with them and how you want them to be a part of your church. And Father, there may be someone here today, God, that um, doesn't know you, that um, doesn't understand your love for them. I pray, God, you would touch their heart today, help them to know that they can be perfectly free because of the blood that you shed on Calvary. If they would only ask, they could be set free. They could be a member of your church too. So the question is not, do I have to be a member of the church the question is why would we not want to we thank you for this gift of the church we thank you for how you put us together in all of our faults and flaws to love one another and we pray that Wyatt Baptist Church will be a church that would glorify you by supporting one another by fulfilling the great commission and by giving you glory in everything that we do in Jesus name we pray amen Stand.